Hi, you guys. This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast, episode 12. We're talking about work, as always. Work in the workplace and careers and leadership and the place of work in our lives and in our society. It's uh, in question right now. A lot of questions about work and the relationship between employers and employees, and that's what we're interested in. Helping people look at the system that we work in, shift it, grow our own muscles, get stronger, speak with our own voice, you know, more often, more powerfully, and um, and band together with other folks who feel the same way. It's a lot, you know, that, that I love about work, and I love the place that work can hold in our lives, not just a way to get an income, but it can be creative outlet and intellectual stimulation and social affirmation and all this really, really great stuff, but, you know, that's not the experience that you know, everybody has at work, needless to say. So we got a lot of work to do in the system and in individual organizations. And then, of course, in ourselves, because we're part of the change. That's that's the message. We're part of the change. For a long time, people have asked me, well, when is this human workplace idea going to get here? I'm waiting. Yeah, but waiting isn't really the way to bring that in. <laughs> we can all get stronger. We can all uh, notice the ecosystem and play an active part in it more and more every day. Just understanding how work works and understanding how our employment laws work. And then on a personal level, understanding what we bring to a job and knowing our value and being willing to walk away from the wrong things when appropriate, to speak up when appropriate, to buck other people up and encourage them, which is always appropriate, you know, so so it's not a passive thing. We're not waiting for something to shift and make work better than it is. We're, we're actually working to make that happen, right? That's our idea at Human Workplace. And we teach employers how to, have, you know, humanize their practices and their mindset. And we teach everybody, working people and job seekers and consultants and so on, how to bring a human voice and approach, you know, to their own work. But right now we're going to talk about stories in episode 12. Stories have come to the forefront and I'll tell you why because for the last month or so our team at Human Workplace has been looking at resumes. Reviewing resumes as a service just for a limited time uh, to go through resumes with folks and and um, tell them whether their resume is getting the job done or not in our opinion. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, does the resume tell the reader instantly what kind of job you want? That's a real problem for a lot of folks. They have a resume that says, I've done this, I've done that, I can do this, I have these skills. It doesn't say what they want. And, and, and nowadays that is critical because we cannot put that on the employer to have to go through your resume and decide what you might be qualified for in their place. The other thing is that from a strength perspective, from a, from a you know, uh, uh, conveying qualifications and confidence and suitability perspective, the more targeted and tailored a resume can be to a specific opportunity. Obviously, the surer, the more surely it's going to hit the mark. So it's almost like you're pitching your resume every time you use it to the specific situation you want. So, so years ago, you know, we would get a hundred resumes printed couldn't customize them at all. Just go to the print shop and it's one version. Now you can have unlimited versions of your resume. 
on your hard drive. But here's the thing, what's going to convey your ability to step into a job and make a difference in the job more than anything is your stories. So you get to choose the most applicable, relevant, germane, right? Pertinent stories from your past, from past jobs or volunteering experience or, or school experiences. You're going to pick the stories that relate as well as possible to the need, the situation, the pain that you're focusing on every time you use your resume. Whoa, what do you mean by that, Liz? Okay, here's what I mean. Here's this counter example. Here's a, here's a bad story. This is a, what's it called? What do they call that? A story about what not to do. Cautionary tale. Here's a cautionary tale, you guys. Not-for-profit executive director that I talked to said, wow, kind of in trouble with my board. I have a four-person organization here, small not-for-profit, but a very good board, board of directors. I got approval to hire a marketing person at a good salary, and that's unusual for not-for-profits, but I argued for a person to come in and help us, and I said, I'm going to interview not-for-profit marketing folks with not-for-profit type of experience and some corporate marketing people too because I think some of those guys might be able to come in, diagnose our marketing problems, get in there with more of a corporate mindset and help us. So anyway, she interviewed some some folks from not-for-profit marketing backgrounds and some folks from a corporate marketing background and she told me I had a top candidate, corporate candidate. And she was sitting in my office and I said, hey, tell me a story from your business past, from your business career that, you know, really shows you in your power that, that is going to let me know that, you know, you have a handle on what I'm dealing with here. Am I not for profit with four employees? And the candidate sadly leaned back in her chair and said, I just finished implementing and launching an intranet for our 7,000 salespeople at my company. And it is a marvelous thing. It took 24 months, but you know, it is going to be so handy for these salespeople with all these online forms and, and toggles and buttons and dials. It's amazing. And the not-for-profit executive director said, cool. Can you bring that down to, you know, where I'm sitting four person, not-for-profit and my need and candidate, Hadn't really thought about it. Couldn't do it. So what am I talking about? Relevance. Relevance. Being relevant. And you don't have to be in an interview to pick relevant stories, you guys. You can pick relevant stories to include on your resume, a customized resume for a specific opportunity. You want that hiring manager, that decision maker to know that you get them. You get them. You know how I always say it, only the people who get you deserve you? It's the same way in reverse when you're applying for a job, when you're going after jobs. Relevance in your stories on your resume is incredibly important as a job seeker to get the interview, to get the hiring manager seeing you as somebody that could actually help them. Yeah, I know the process is abominable. It's atrocious, the recruiting process. They ask for all these keywords and bullets without even necessarily thinking about their applicability to the job, but 
you know, it's a, it's a broken system, but we are crawling through the wreckage of that broken system to get you a really good job anyway. We are not going to stop and try to fix the whole global hiring system or even bigger, the, the system of work, the mechanical Taylor Weber work model. We're not fixing that today because a lot of people need a job and they need, you know, all the stuff right now. And that, so that's where we focus too, right? On the ground level, what do you do? to surmount the brokenness. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So storytelling is so huge. And and here's how you're going to tell a story. For example, on your resume, the setting, what was going wrong or what was the situation such that you had to act and then what you did about it and then why it was a good solution, like the result. Because you see on resumes all the time, uh, I created a database of 40,000 volunteers. And you know, my cynical North Jersey brain and, you know, in sympathy with all the other people who are going to be reading this recruiters and hiring managers who may or may not be cynics from North Jersey, but they're still going to say, why did you create the database? Did somebody tell you to, was it your pet project? Was it important? How does it tie down to earth? That's what we want to know. What was the impact? Why was this necessary? So we can evaluate, right? Was it cool? Was it important? So you just simply add on there, um, you know, to support, uh, community, uh, whatever community, um, project, um, in our joint venture, I created an active database of 40,000, you know, volunteers who came out to spread the word about our race for some charitable cause or whatever. Give us the whole story. Why was the thing necessary? What did you do? And then why was that a good thing to do? And you can do it quickly in a few words on a bullet point. I like sentence, I want a sentence, the whole thing, subject, object, because I don't get why when writing a resume, we feel like, oh, let me leave myself out of it. I won't use the word I. Oh yeah, you will use the word I. It's a document about you. It's your principal marketing document. We don't have to stick to these 1930s, 40s, you know, protocols for writing a resume where you say was instrumental on the team. We don't know what that means. Don't, don't, don't characterize the instrumentality of your contribution. Tell us what you actually did. We want to judge for ourselves. Know what I'm saying? So you say in my boss's absence, untangled a thorny billing uh, issue and saved a $400,000 a year client. Now here's where people get stuck on that. They say, but I don't by myself, Liz, I don't know. Did I save them? Just say you save them. You know, here's the thing, you know, the impact and we understate because we've been trained. One of the many, many ways we've been trained is not to claim stuff. We think we can't claim stuff. If the boss wouldn't agree, it's not up to them anymore. Okay. My darling, it's up to you now. It's your background. Were you there? Did you do the thing? Can you answer questions about it? Then claim it. Your boss didn't like that you did it, claim it. Oh, your boss would have told you you're not allowed to do that. You did it though, claim it. it. Wasn't in your job description, claim it. You did it, claim it. People talk about job seekers overstating their qualifications, but they understate their qualifications so much more often. We are timid because we've been trained to be, I'm trying to untrain you guys. That's a teenager, the background. Hope he doesn't burst out singing. He's a singer, but right now it sounds like he's playing a game with his friends. It's hard, quarantine, hard on them. 
Uh, it's not easy on any of us. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, you got to tell stories, you guys. And LinkedIn tells stories. And your resume tells stories. Of course, you get into an interview. Your stories are going to be so much more memorable in a job interview than any facts and figures and data points. They just are. Because that's, it's human. First thing I learned in grad school, communication studies, Northwestern University, 1990, was when you look at somebody's face, there's 250 cues that help you understand what's going on with that person whose face you're looking at, and then recall the, who they are the next time you see their face. And data doesn't have 250 cues, right? For a very small number of people, data or numbers have, have attributes that they don't have for all of us, right? You've 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 heard about people who you know who who are so in sync with numbers numbers have personalities for them or colors and this sort of thing but for most of us number has very limited number of cues right it might have, might have been the your baseball number when you were in little league or you know it might have been your favorite number when you were 12 years old or your locker number in high school or something like that but a lot of numbers really don't have that much weight and certainly they don't have weight unless they're in context so as much as I love for you to use numbers in your resume, certainly if you're in sales or if you're talking about quantitative results, you're going to have to use numbers. But I don't want your resume to be dominated by numbers. I want it actually to have a small number of really powerful, pithy stories. We call them dragon slaying stories where you slew a dragon. If you're not into the idea of killing a dragon, no one could blame you. Yeah, just call them dragon taming stories, you know? So that's the thing. Got to tell stories in your resume nowadays because, you know, resumes look all alike. Results oriented professional with the bottom line orientation. What the heck does it mean? Doesn't mean anything. It's just robot speak we've been taught. And now we have this opportunity to break free from the crowd, you guys, and put a human voice in the resume and get your have to cross. Will everyone like it? No, probably not. But again, it's your principal branding document. If they don't like it, uh, you know, good. Like, who has time? It's a weird thing. We think of a job search as a numbers game, and it is to a degree. Got to get some quantity of overtures out there. But it's not a numbers game to the degree that you're going to pitch out 200 resumes or fill out 200 applications, and, and a bunch of them are going to want you. Probably not. If you're really operating at your high power mode, not everybody's going to want you. Some people are going to find you too high powered for what they need or too non-generic for what they need. Good, 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 good. A brand attracts and repels, you guys. Attracts and repels. And I don't mean attracts and then has no reaction. I mean attracts the right people and repels the rest. The first time I heard that, I was shocked like 20 years ago. A brand repels? First of all, a lot of people are like, I don't want a brand, Liz. I'm not a bottle of ketchup. I'm a person. I know it. But you're going to have a footprint. You, you go out in the sun, you're going to cast a shadow. We talked about this a while back. So you're going to have a brand anyway. So why not decide what that is and what you sort of want known about yourself? And I know you have come and saw and conquered. You have come and seen and have seen and have conquered a lot of things at work, but we're not trained to recall our stories or write them down. Here's what we tend to value about someone's work experience. How many years have you been working with Excel? 
Like the years matter. And how would you even gauge that? I mean, you mean full time and not sleeping? Or you mean like I became aware of it and then time elapsed? It's a stupid question, you guys. You want to know about someone's proficiency with or, or, or uh, what's the word? Um, comfort level with Excel? Ask them what they've done with Excel, obviously. Ask them what they've done with Excel. I, it makes me mad. Okay, you know what? I'm old enough. I was sitting in all the rooms, the conference rooms, in the 80s when all this business software was being designed. The first versions of it. The big, the big database companies that still rule the world today, Oracle and SAP and all these guys. They all started off with, you know, let's, let's, let's automate the most basic processes at work. So I'm an HR person, so I was in countless meetings about automating HR processes back when they were not off the shelf or customizable programs. Like programmers would come into your office and they would be hired for a big sums and they would actually do this software custom back in the day because we didn't know. We didn't know it was going to be apps and, you know, <laughs> app store. We had no idea. Software as a service, not a thing back then. So yeah, so I sat in all the rooms where they said, the quality of this new automation is going to be based on what goes into it. Garbage in, garbage out. That's what they used to say. Garbage in, garbage out. And I sat in the meetings and said, yeah, but your mindset predates any input that I might have right now in the 80s as a 20-something telling you how our system worked. It's your mindset, programmer person. I love you as a person, but you're saying garbage in, garbage out. You don't even see the mindset the formulaic, quantitative, keyword-based, data-driven mindset that completely, you know, as an overarching thing, dictates whatever we're going to do in terms of automating any HR process or recruiting process. And that mindset was the garbage in. The mindset was the garbage in that we are still living with 30 years later, you guys. Tell us in this application form where you worked, for how long, and your tasks and duties. I'm sorry, excuse me? You want to know my tasks and duties? Well, I was a customer service supervisor, so guess what? I actually supervised customer service people and trained them and came up with scripts for them. Aren't you shocked that that's what I did as a freaking customer service supervisor? It's so obvious. Why would we ask people about their tasks and duties when those are A, embedded in the job title for the most part, with 95% overlap with other people who had the same job title, and B, tell us nothing about their impact in the job or their understanding of the job or anything useful whatsoever. What were your tasks and duties on the job, your responsibilities? This is left over from the 1920s, 30s, when someone would come looking for work at a factory. We need to know. Are they a drill press operator, right? Are they a machine shop person? What are they? Do they understand electricity? Do they do do they do plumbing? What do they do? Can they work on my conveyor belt? Yeah, but now jobs are not like that anymore. The, the the blue collar thing has faded in the United States, sad to say. And it's knowledge work now. So to ask me what meaty problems I solved and what I left in my wake at that job. Duh. Ask me what I learned and what I accomplished on the job. That will allow you to see what I'm actually about and how I roll when I work. But still today, in 2020, halfway through, we have not revised or upgraded job application forms. Think about it, you guys. 
click on indeed.com and you find a job looks interesting and they still want to know where did you work what dates what were your tasks and duties Ugh. that's just fundamentally wrong it's just wrong it's stupid and that offends me maybe i'm too easily offended hey i'm liz ryan this is the truth about work podcast if you have a question for me send it to us support at humanworkplace.com follow us on twitter it's also humanworkplace.com have an awesome awesome day